Good morning, Berean family. I usually shout good morning, Berean kids, so I was hoping I didn't mess that one up too bad. It is so good to see all of you here this morning. I had a phenomenal time here for three Christmas Eve services. Everybody did a phenomenal job. It was fantastic. I was so excited to be here for that. My personally favorite services of the year. And I'm glad to see you here this morning. I promise you I will not talk about doTERRA at all this morning, just to let you know that, all right? But it is so good to be here. I love Christmas, just like probably most of you. Very excited for the holiday. We have traditions in our families that we keep. Ours, some of ours, is usually at least once a week. We pack up at night, drive around, look at the Christmas lights. We love Christmas music. I think we started playing that at the end of October in our house this year. Love everything about it. And it was great to have the time yesterday with our families. Was so excited to spend time with family. Get to see the joy of my kids in this season. And it made me think that things have changed quite a bit since I was a kid. How I look at Christmas has changed completely since I was a kid. It was always about myself. It was always about what I was going to get, how much fun we were going to have. But something changed when I became a father. The joy that my children get out of this now is way more important to me. I love seeing the look on my children's faces when they see what we've got them. It's become an amazing thing to be a father. And there are so many things about being a father, so many memories that I will have. And one of the memories that I will never forget is one of my children at about the age of three to four years old had this massive amount of stuffed animals that would always be in the bed at night. And those stuffed animals couldn't just be in there all willy-nilly. They had to be in a specific order from one side of the bed to the other in an order of most importance. The smallest brown bear had to be right next to my child. If anything was out of place, we could not go to bed when we needed to. So, being the dad that I was, I just messed with them a little bit. If they went to go to use the restroom, I would rearrange the stuffed animals in the bed. They would come back in and look at me, look at the bed, look at me again with a scowl on their face, and say, that's not right. They would climb back up in and arrange everything the way it needed to be in order of most importance. That little brown bear had to be tucked right next to them in order for them to be able to go to sleep. Got me to thinking. Do we have our stuffed animals arranged in the proper order the way we see fit? Those things we've compartmentalized in our lives that we have in just the right spot, just in the right order, that way we can feel comfortable and we can feel good about the way things are going. If we're honest, I think we probably have some of that. This morning, I'd like us to look at Colossians chapter 1. If you would open your Bible and turn there with me, turn on your device to Colossians chapter 1. Paul here is writing to the Colossian church, a church he's probably personally never been to, but one that he has very close ties with most likely led by and started by his 
convert Epaphras. And he starts this letter out by introducing himself. He then goes on to thank God for them. Thank God for their testimony. And then offer prayer for them. Now, I don't know about you, but if the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to me, and he starts out by thanking God for me, for my testimony, and then praying for me, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Like, hey, this is Paul, and he's thanking God for me. He's praying for me. This is amazing. Paul quickly changes his tone when we get to verse 15, where we're going to start today. Paul has heard that heresy has started to creep into the Colossian church. Namely, heresy in terms of the identity and deity of Jesus Christ. And Paul starts out here in verse 15, if you'll read with me. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Let's pray. Our glorious Father in heaven, we love you because you have first loved us. God, thank you for allowing us to gather here as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ this morning to lift your name high. God, I pray that your spirit would be mighty and active today. Father, I pray that you would give me the words to speak, but that in all things you would be glorified. God, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your law. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Preeminent is defined by Merriam-Webster as having paramount rank, dignity, or importance. Defined by Cambridge as more important or powerful than all others. And finally defined by our friends at Oxford as surpassing all others. Paul's intent in this letter and what he's just said in these verses is to reaffirm the importance and surpassing authority of Jesus Christ. He's using this, this teaching, this writing we've just heard to establish the fact that Jesus should be over all. It should be the antidote for the heresy, but also the proper foundation for life of all those who read this. Paul's desire is for the reader to see and understand the paramount rank and surpassing importance of Jesus Christ. He wants us to see that Christ is preeminent. He wants us to understand that Christ is above all else. 
And we see this in three areas. First, we see the preeminence of Christ in creation. The preeminence of Christ in creation, verses 15 through 17. In verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God. This affirms biblical orthodoxy that God is invisible. John 1 verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God. John chapter 4 and verse 24 says, God is spirit. He is affirming the truth of God's invisibility. But he also declares Jesus to be the visible image of the invisible God. That word image in this verse is the Greek word icon. It's where we get our English word icon. And we're very familiar with icons today. If you reached in your pocket right now, most likely you would pull out a device that is full of icons. If you need to navigate to any distance, you go through an icon. If you want to see what's on the menu at this restaurant, you go through an icon. If you want to add or subtract anything, usually right now you just go in your pocket and go through an icon. They direct us to the things we are looking for. And we're going to have a little quiz time right now. i got a couple icons. We're going to pop up on the screen here. And I want you to tell me what these icons are for so we can have the first icon up on the screen. Can anybody tell me? Facebook. Really easy. Really easy. You guys are one for one. This is a good batting average, all right? One more. Let's, let's try one more up here. Second one. You should all be familiar with this this time of year. There should be boxes and boxes and boxes at your house that have that little smile on there right now. We're all familiar with these icons. They identify what we are looking for. And while Jesus indeed guides us to the person of God, describing him as a guide merely just isn't a proper or sufficient definition of who Jesus is. You can take a poll. You can go to the grocery store and stand out in, in the parking lot, and before people go in, you could poll them and ask them this question, who do you think Jesus is? I got a buddy of mine who I worked with a long time ago, who we still keep in contact. Shot him a text message the other day. He is a uh, devout and professing atheist. And I just shot him a text. I was like, hey man, just as somebody who has an opposing worldview, I'd like to ask you a question and get your honest answer. And he's always pretty honest with me. He's like, yeah man, absolutely. So I just shot him a text. Who do you think Jesus is? is. And he responded with, well, if he existed, I would say he was an eccentric Jewish teacher. That's who he thinks Jesus is. He then followed that text up with another text that said, it's kind of weird. This is the second time this week I've been asked that question. And I followed that up with another text that said, well, maybe God's trying to tell you something. There are plenty of opinions about the person of Jesus Christ. There are some who will say he is a man who is very loving. And while Jesus is loving, that is not merely who he is. Jesus was a, maybe, in your opinion, an eccentric Jewish teacher. And while he was a teacher, and I believe he is a great teacher, that's not merely who Jesus is. While Jesus may be a guide, 
And he is definitely a great guy. That is not merely who Jesus is. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus was God in flesh. Jesus Christ is God. That is who Jesus is. But in verse 15, we also see this. He is called the firstborn of all creation. Now, this verse is misused by a lot of cults to try to claim away the deity of Jesus Christ. You see, he was the firstborn of all creation. He was merely just the first of many of God's creation. Well, when they misuse this verse, they do so completely out of context because all you have to do is read around verse 15 to see what Paul is saying about the person of Jesus Christ, and it's completely antithetical to that view. This word, firstborn, is a Greek word, prototokos. And the only reason I'm saying that this morning is because it's really fun to say. And that does not mean he is firstborn chronologically. It has nothing to do with chronological order. It has to do with rank and authority. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Not meaning he was the first one in chronological order, but meaning he is the first one in rank, in power, in might, and authority. He is the firstborn of all creation. And verse 15, if we read, goes on to explain verse 15. Verse 16 explains verse 15. For by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus is above all else in creation because Jesus created the world. The creator is always superior to the creation. For by him all things were created. Jesus was the source of creation. John 1.3 says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That simply means, if you see it, that was Jesus doing it. All things were created through him. Jesus is the agent of creation. John 1 and verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made through him. All things were created for him. Jesus is the heir of creation. Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 2, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. The world was made by Jesus, the world was made from Jesus, and the world was made for Jesus. Jesus is above all else. And not only did Jesus create the world, but Jesus sustains the world. In verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Hebrews 1 verse 3 tells us he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Just about a month ago at this time, my Sister-in-law, brother-in-law, and their sons were up here visiting the family. Um, they stayed for Thanksgiving, but they were up here for the uh, funeral because of the passing of my wife's grandfather. And even though it was a sad 
occasion. It was good to see them. It was good to have them around. And they have a four-year-old little boy named Zane. And when I say a four-year-old little boy, I mean a four-year-old little boy. Thousand percent boy. All through. He's hyper, he's sweet, and he's hard-headed. And I mean literally hard-headed. That kid hit his head on the counter in my in-law's kitchen about six times in those two weeks. He'd rub it a little bit and go, I'm okay. And just keep on going. Every now and then, about three different times I think I counted through those two weeks, we'd be in a room together and he would just come walking through, singing to himself like nobody else was around. He's got the whole world in his hands. 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 What great doctrine to come out of the mouth of a four-year-old little boy. He's got the whole world in his hands. Do you know that the earth rotates on its axis about a thousand miles an hour? The earth orbits around the sun at about 64,000 miles per hour. The distance from earth to sun is estimated to be around 91.45 million miles. And if that distance varied just by a few million miles either way, Earth would be uninhabitable. The gravitational pull of the other planets would be thrown off course. They would crash into one another. The oxygen level of Earth is right around 21%. If that dipped down to just 15%, you and I would have a lot of trouble breathing right now. It would become harder and more difficult for us to breathe. If that dipped down to about 10%, we would all be completely unconscious and we would start to die. I was at my eye doctor a few years back. He was examining my eyes and he is a believer. And he said to me, Tim, I, I don't know how anybody could look at something as small as the eye and how intricately it was made and within themselves say there is no God. He holds everything we see together with his hand. But what's true about the creation, the things we are visibly able to see, the sun coming up and setting, the moon, the stars in all their place, what's true about that is the same as you and your life and mine as part of his creation. He upholds us. He sustains us. He's got us in his hand. Some of us in here may need some sustaining this morning. I know this holiday we just had yesterday wasn't happy for everybody. Just as Pastor Dan talked about Friday, you may have had an empty chair yesterday. You may think something in your life is falling completely to pieces. It could be your marriage. It could be the lives of your children. It could be your career. I assure you, as I'm standing here this morning, as we are here this morning, he has got the whole world in his hand. He sustains us. In Psalm 55 and verse 2, we're told to cast our burdens on the Lord and he will sustain us. Psalm 3 and verse 5, I lay down and slept and I woke again for the Lord sustained. 
Job 33, verse 4, the Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. We couldn't even breathe if it wasn't for Him. We sing the song here, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you only. Great are you, Lord. Jesus is above all else in creation, but as part of His creation... Is he above all else in my life? Is Jesus above all else in my marriage? Am I looking to him in preeminence, loving my wife as Christ loved the church, or am I looking out for myself? Is he above all else in my parenting? Am I actively engaged with the raising and the discipling of my children? Or am I just passively disengaged, allowing everything to pass me by? Is Christ above all else in my ideologies and my public life? Do I let Jesus dictate my worldview, or do I let the world dictate my view of Jesus? Is He above all else? In my life, we see that Jesus is above all else and he is preeminent in creation. But next we see the preeminence of Christ in the church, verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. I am so thankful for the church. I am so thankful that we can gather this morning to lift up the name of Jesus, to edify one another. The church has been a godsend in my life in the times where I've been struggling, in the times where it seemed like everything was falling apart, but to remind me again that he's got the whole world in his hands and he holds all things together. His name must be above all else in the church. In Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18, Jesus asked the question, who do they say I am? He's told, well, some think you're John the Baptist, some think you're a prophet, some think you're something else. But he looks and he says, Peter, who do you say that I am? And he responds, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus responds, you have said well. And your name, Peter, means a rock, but on this rock... The proclamation that you have just made that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Christ is above all else in the church. He will build and sustain His church. We're told in Ephesians that we're placed in the body, fit jointly together to do the work of Christ but also to be grown up and built up into the head of the body, Christ. It's not about us. It's not about our preferences, our opinions. It's about Jesus and his name being lifted high above all else. He is preeminent. He is above all in his church. They use that word again, firstborn from the dead. Because he is the resurrected son of God, Jesus has the rightful place as first in rank in his church. 
Are we working? Are we ministering? Are we doing the things we do to make His name famous instead of our own? So that people would talk about Jesus Christ and not necessarily Berean, but the Lord God we serve. He is above all else in the church. And He is above all else in the church because of the preeminence of Christ in conversion. He is above all else in conversion. Verses 19 and 20. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In John chapter 14, Jesus is just finishing up the Last Supper. He's giving final instructions to His apostles. He tells them, listen, I am going to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house there are many mansions. And they look at him and say, tell us the way. He said, you're going to prepare. Just tell us the way to the Father. And he responds to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but through me. And Philip looks at him and says, just show us the Father and it'll be good enough for us. And in the tone that I read, I just see Jesus looking at him and he goes, how long have you been with me? That you say, show me the Father. It's as if he's saying, where were you when I changed the water into wine? Where were you when I came up on that young man who was laying on his mat and I told him to arise to take up his bed and walk? Where were you when I touched the eyes of the blind and made them see? Where were you when I was walking on the waves and when I spoke, the waves calmed down? Where were you when I raised Jairus' daughter from the dead? And he continues his response, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I'm reminding myself this morning, I'm reminding all of you this morning, if we have seen Jesus, we have seen the Father. If we have seen Jesus, we have seen the Father. Christ is above all else as God in flesh, as Emmanuel, God with us. And the reason there's that good news of verse 19 is because of the great news of verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Just as Pastor Dan said Friday night, this manger sits in the shadow of the cross. He was born to die. He is Emmanuel, God with us, so that he could be glorified through our redemption. There are those of us who loved creation more than creator. There are those of us who sought after our own desires as opposed to his glory. And that's all of us. Scripture tells us that all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We have missed the mark of his holiness and his righteousness and his perfection. That sin that was passed down through Adam, that sin that we do because we love it, causes us to miss the mark. The Bible follows that up and tells us that the wages of sin is death. Because of our sin, we deserve 
Our wage is eternal death. Eternal punishment. That's awful news. But there's good news. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When we were not good enough, Jesus was good enough for us. When there was a price we couldn't pay, Jesus paid the price for us. He is above all else in conversion. And how do we get there? If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Some of you have never believed and never confessed. But that message isn't just for you. I believed and I confessed on March the 25th of 1998 as a 15-year-old young man, and that message is for me today. Have I believed that Jesus is above all else in my life? Have I put him in his proper place in my life? I'm going to ask the band to come out and take their places as we're wrapping up today. We see in this letter Paul's desire to the Colossian churches that Jesus would not just be part of their lives, but would be preeminent in their lives. That Jesus would be above all else to them. This leaves us to ask ourselves the question, is he above all else in my life? The one who creates and sustains the world, is he above all else? The one who builds and sustains his church, is he above all else? The one who was promised in Genesis 3.15, the one who was pictured in Abraham's test and sacrifice of Isaac, the one who was prophesied throughout the Old Testament, is he above all else in my life? The one who came, born of a virgin, a babe in a manger. The one who grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. The one who laid down his life willingly on a cross to be good enough for me when I wasn't and pay a price that I could never pay. Is he above all else in my life? If you've never come to him, he's inviting you to do so today. In his own words from Matthew, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and I am lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That invitation comes from the one who is above all else. Father God, may your name be glorified. Thank you that you are above all else. We praise you for who you are. We thank you for who you are. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.